going shopping is this way more interesting because uh, we see things in a different way in shops. So whenever I see now plastic, I think about the negative effect of, of plastic and I automatically I try to try to consume less. I think when, when you commit to something, then you automatically try to align yourself with this goal. So once once I committed to it, I became more aware and I wanted to, to be consistent. I would say it's more colorful life. Just like when I reduced my beef and meat consumption, I discovered that there are different vegetables are available and you can prepare de- delicious dishes. Welcome to the award-winning Leadership in the Environment podcast. We guide you to living better by your values. We bring you relevant views on important topics without doom and gloom. We focus on awareness and action. It's about bringing fun, community, and connection to your everyday life. If you're new to the channel, please consider subscribing and turning on notifications. Let's do this. Welcome to my first fourth guest appearance. That is Balint. He supported me at the very beginning as I'd appeared on his podcast and we became friends. One of the great benefits of hosting a long form podcast is you get to develop relationships with your guests and you become friends. So Balint and I keep in touch. We talk about how he's evolved in terms of the challenge that he took on, as well as in the rest of his life, switching from supporting entrepreneurs to supporting fathers as he's become a father. One time recently we were talking and we said, let's do a podcast episode. And we just jumped in and started recording it then. And since people keep saying, Josh, you don't understand. Since you don't have kids, it's impossible to avoid producing waste. We decided to record him taking on a new challenge to act against that because he's a father. He wasn't a father when he did the first episode. He is now. So we get to see how acting on your values changes what's possible, what's not possible, and so forth. The first part of the episode you're about to hear, we just spontaneously started recording. So we didn't set up really good microphones. I decided to trade catching the moment for sound quality. In the second half, we recorded with good microphones, so the sound quality improves again. Let's listen to Bud Lint, longtime friend, longtime podcast guest, talking about how things have evolved from his challenge years and years ago to his change in becoming a father, his change in running his business, into now. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Bud Lint Horvat. Did I say it right? Did I get it close? I'm Horvat. Yeah. And... Long-time listeners will remember Balint is one of my first podcast guests and very encouraging because at the time he had a podcast, he took on a personal challenge and he has become a friend of mine. We keep in touch. And we were talking a little while ago and things have changed in some big ways that he'll, he'll tell you about in a second. And he decided to take on a new challenge. And so I thought, bring him on and share. I'm going to spill the beans. You have a child. And you've moved from focusing on entrepreneurship to raising... Well, tell me more about what your blog is about. I'm happy to join again your podcast. I'm a big uh, fan of it, uh, your work and uh, your podcast, your initiative, because I think it, it definitely fills in a hole in, in the world of sustainability. I think uh, we need such voices because uh, we over-consume and uh, I think your podcast is targeting this topic very, very nicely. So going back to me, I got featured before. And uh, at that time, when I was uh, on your podcast, I got to appear on your podcast, I think, three times. So there are separate recordings. Mm-hmm. And there I was talking about the challenge that I took on. It was uh, related to beef consumption because I love love burger. Just like when, when people go on a vacation, they typically have uh, ice cream. I try to have as many burgers as possible. 
So yeah, it, it, it worked out quite nicely, that challenge. So I have less uh, consumption right now, uh, well, since then. So less meat consumption, less beef consumption. Because at that time, I was reading about the uh, negative effects of, of beef, how many water, how many liters of water is, is used. And it's uh, completely outrageous, the, the numbers there. I forgot now, I think it's maybe like 26,000 liters of, of water used. The listeners can check out the, the interview from that time, mm-hmm. but I mentioned the number. So yeah, at that time I was uh, more into, I was a, a single person and uh, right now I, I have a child. So the situation changed quite a lot. Yeah, that'll do it. And yeah. now before we talk about the child, you mentioned that you've kept it up. How does it feel? Was it something that you've given up? Do you feel a loss? Do you feel a gain? What's the emotional result of, is it deprivation or sacrifice? Regarding my previous change? Yeah. I mean, not eating, if you're still eating meat less now for several years, that's a long term. I mean, it feels like a life change. Is your life better? Is your life worse? Is it no different? I got to become more creative regarding uh, eating, my eating habits. So we try to come up with my fiance, we try to come up with new ideas, how to cook with, uh, which doesn't involve meat. I I think it definitely impacted our, our, our life in a good way. So regarding our, our creative way of living, but also tasting new food, new ingredients, like, you know, squash, we love pumpkin squash and uh, preparing dishes with it. And uh, I think it's, it's great. I love it. Were you surprised by this result? Would you have predicted it before you tried it out? I mean, you could have stopped eating meat or decreased your meat along any time. I think it's just a, it was a great uh, moment uh, to realize that there's, that there's a new world of possibilities. So it was a trigger for me. I got caught off guard that that answer was more, it was bigger than I expected, that, that it would open up a new world. That, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it was just sitting there. You just didn't know until you tried. Yeah, yeah. I do like challenges, but this, this challenge is something that I didn't think about consciously before. And uh, when we had this conversation and we, 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 we had more and more discussions, I realized that... Uh, that this is something that I want to change. Am I too full of myself or too forward to say you're welcome? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's great that, that we have this friendship. Me too. And now I'm, I want to ask about, a lot of people say, Josh, you don't understand. You don't have a kid. If you, once you have a kid, you realize that a lot of the stuff that you do is not possible. So you didn't have a kid and now you do have a kid. And you're the first person I'm speaking to who had a kid after being on the podcast. I'm sure you could talk for a million years about what it's like to have a kid. I wonder if relevant specifically to these changes from the podcast. For sure, my minimalistic lifestyle is uh, is more challenging. So I, I liked, uh, so like in 2015, I had a backpacking trip, which changed the way I, I lived and, and thought about the world. So I tried to reduce at that time the amount of items I own. And uh since uh, our daughter was born, we definitely we increased uh, the number of items we have. We, but uh, we stayed actually in the same flat where we lived uh, before. So we tried not to increase our footprint. I think it's, it's a challenge. But uh, if families like challenges, I think uh, you can also think about it uh, as a challenge. How to live in a more conscious way 
uh, more environmentally friendly when you when you have suddenly family, kids, or or just one child. And I presume your your number one priority has got to be your child's future and, and health. And I presume that's the case. Correct me if I'm wrong. If and if that's the case, do you think that having more space or less space or more or less stuff or less stuff, how does that affect the child or not? I think uh, having uh, she does have a. Uh, different toys but what i try to pay attention to which is connected to this topic is that uh, trying to focus on one toy to play with for example we have this mega block uh, canadian company which produces something related to that close to legal uh, for children big blocks that you can connect and uh, whenever we play i try to remove other items around so that way, I already tried to introduce her into this kind of minimalistic way of thinking about things. But I think if you have uh, less clutter in your life, you have more focus. And if you have more focus, I think it, it gives you benefits because nowadays we're constantly interrupted by social media, our phones. And uh, being able to focus this ability is a huge benefit. So if I can teach my child how to have and sustain it, how to have focus and how to sustain it, I think it can be very, very advantageous for her. What can I say to people myself when they say, Josh, you don't understand kids. It's just so much stuff. There's nothing you can do about it. Because I can't speak from personal experience on this one. Yeah. When people say to me, Josh, you don't understand. You don't have kids. If you had kids, you'd understand. There's just nothing you can do. You're just going to get more and more stuff. And you know, we'd like to do what you do, but we can't. And it's impossible. So I can't speak from experience to like, I mean, when someone says, I can't produce as little garbage as you, I can say, well, neither could I Yeah. five, six years ago when I started. But, you know, you can't see the finish line when you start a marathon, but you still got to take the first couple steps. And then eventually you find yourself at the finish line. Yeah. And not that I'm at the finish line. I still got a lot less. I, I still have more garbage. I produce more garbage than I'd like to. But I, there I can speak from experience. But with a kid, yeah, I, I can't say. I mean, my one experience is that when I lived in China, I stayed at a friend's place for several months. And it was, it was this crazy experience. It was living in this place. Everyone spilled out into the hallways. Like everyone's cooking stuff was in the hallways. And it, all these in America would be fire code violations all over the place. But there's a family on the ground floor that was, I never spoke to them because I couldn't, my Chinese wasn't good enough yet. But it was two parents and a child and their door was always open. So I could just see inside and they just had very little stuff. And as far as I could tell, they were just a normal family. They just had very little stuff in a room that was, I would guess, under 500 square feet, under 50 square meters. And this has always stuck in me, in my mind, of a family with very little stuff. And as far as I could tell, they looked pretty happy. And they weren't hiding anything. They were, I mean, because everyone kept their doors open in this place. It was kind of an unusual living situation. But I mean, a regular Chinese situation, unusual for me, as far as I could tell. I think it's important that uh, to get onto this journey. So I think one just has to commit that you want to improve your life. And then you will... Uh, you will by slowly taking on small challenges. I think you can uh, you can get to a state where you will appreciate even more the the minimalistic or or way of living. So living with less. So one realization I had recently is that uh, when I was writing an article for my blog, so I have a new blog. It's uh, projectfather.com, and uh, there I, I document my journey and of fatherhood. And then I was researching this topic regarding, regarding Pampers diapers, like Pampers Swedlers is one of the most popular uh, diapers, disposable diapers. And I, I noticed that uh, there's a lot of uh, negative effect of, uh, of uh, throwing out diapers. 
filling, filling up landfills. 30% of non-biodegradable waste is actually from diapers. Well, 30%? Yeah. And like during the two years uh, age of a child, my daughter is two years old, parents produce uh, or the child produces one ton of, uh, of, of diapers, which is huge. And um, so when researching this topic, I realized that there's a lot that families could do regarding sustainability uh, topic. One is the Pampers diapers, but also choosing uh, items, even furniture for kids like uh, high chairs that are wooden ones and not uh, not made out of plastic. Like the, there's this obby chair that I, I wrote an art a review on and Kikaru high chair, Stoke. These are very popular wooden high chairs, but I think still some people choose uh, plastic ones. I think it's uh, also something to keep in mind. For families. I would also think a big thing would be, I mean, here at Craigslist, I'm not sure if it's Craigslist there or some alternative, but getting, I imagine people have high chairs for a few years and then they don't need them anymore ever. And there must be a lot of use. I know my sister who has three kids, she had some supply of books and things that would from other parents whose kids were a little, a couple years older. And so she would get a constant flow of used things. I think that's also great. I'm a big supporter of that. So even where I live in, in Zurich, Switzerland, we do get used stuff online. It's similar to Craigslist. And uh, regarding high chairs, I've recently researched this, that uh, if they have expiration date, actually high chairs don't. Just like strollers, they don't have expiration dates. Car seats, they have. So actually, if the high chair looks fine, in a good state, just visibly, there's little chance that anything can go wrong. And even if something goes wrong, it's not uh, probably lethal, unlike uh, a car seat, which is exposed to high accelerations when there's an accident. So yeah, um, I think that's also a great tip for families, using uh, used, buying used items. It sounds like you're behaving slightly differently. Well, because of your trip that you went minimal, that set a big tone. And how about the, oh yeah, the kid's diet. Your change in diet from our past podcast episode, Propagate to rate how you're feeding your child? We try to give her, of course, sometimes uh, meat because she, we, we, we don't, we're not going uh, uh, down this route of, uh, of being completely vegetarian. But uh, we try to minimize also the amount of meat we give. We give her instead fish and she gets to try also new dishes that we prepare using vegetables. Now, I want to, if you don't mind, I want to jump into la- when we spoke last time. Mm-hmm. We didn't record this, but we, wait, did we record it? Now I forget. Now, yeah, we did record it. I'm sorry. You took on a new challenge to, can you remind us what you've done since last we spoke? Yeah. So the, the challenge was that, uh, just to quickly summarize in a few sentences, to reduce my uh, waste, I mean, plastic consumption, and by 10%, roughly. And uh, the other one was, uh, separating plastic. These two are connected. So ideally, you want to have less consumption because then you have to separate less. But uh, when you do have some plastic consumption, you should separate it when you want to throw it away because this way it can be recycled, ideally. And here in, in, in Switzerland, in Zurich, actually, interestingly, there's a, been a, an experiment is still running uh, close, close to me. The city until end of December, they put up a, uh, two containers and it's for separating plastic. So I do take advantage of this and uh, 
Also, others actually do that. I've seen recently that these containers filled up, uh, overfilled completely. So I think people are excited about this, separating plastic. So as a result, I, I do it now quite religiously, separating plastic. And I think it's great. It, it's a little bit of maybe extra time to separate, but it doesn't add much. It's just like uh, when you brush your teeth in the morning or, or in the evening. It's just part of your life. And uh, when I, we go out for a walk, because we have to go out every day for a walk, we just take the, this separated plastic with us and we throw it out in this, this special container. So I think it's uh, it, for sure it didn't, didn't influence our life uh, when we started out much in a negative way. But I think it just it actually impacted our life quite positively. That's the separating part. What about the reducing part? The reducing part, uh, for sure, I, I pay more attention to buying things in bulk, like detergents for the washing machine, and uh, also for eating whatever I can. I try to buy things in bulk, so in big containers. Of course, uh, I would love to have a a market close to us where I could buy items, food, and taking my own containers to fill it up. But uh, we we are not there yet. Close to us, there's there's nothing. So, but at least uh, in shops, I I try to buy things like this. So in, in bulk. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe it in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small, doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. When I was staying at my mom's house earlier this year during the pandemic, or when the pandemic was first hitting, I would go to the shop. There's a bulk section in the big supermarket near her. It was mainly dried fruit and nuts. They didn't have nutritional yeast. They didn't have a lot of uh, dried beans, stuff that I get a lot of. And I went to the manager and I asked, could you get those things? So the manager said, no. Oh, no. The manager said that another company supplies that stuff. So I got in touch with that company to see if, even if they couldn't switch over any of the bins to, like, I would doubt many people there would get, would get say, nutritional yeast. But I asked them if they could bring a big bag of it. And instead of putting it in the box or in the bin, could I just buy it straight from them and I'd pick it up at the store? I ended up coming back home before that came to fruition. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to do that was, yeah, it was a little extra time on my part, but well, from the outside perspective, you'd think maybe I'm investing in putting some time in to maybe help change the market a little. There's that. Also, it connects me with people. I routinely find that acting on my environmental values, one of the main results is it always creates community. And so I like talking to people about this and, you know, they ask me questions, I ask them questions and I find out who the vendor is and things like that. I wonder if, have you thought about talking to people to try to drive up demand? Yeah. I mean, uh, when there was this, uh, there's been this experiment that I was talking about the, the containers, I got asked about it, like, because the, the city is uh, doing some surveys around it. And I got asked uh, what I think about this initiative. I gave feedback 
like that they should collect also bottles, recyclable bottles. I do get in, into conversations and uh, yeah, also with friends, we're talking about it. I have a very good friend here in the Zurich area and he he also is a big uh, proponent of, of, of sustainable living. And um, I, when I talked about this uh, challenge that I have, that I took on, he was also interested in, in, in hearing more about it. So I think it, for sure it creates new discussion topics and uh, hopefully others will follow as well. I was also thinking about talking to the shop owners to see if they could put in a bulk section or to start stocking things that they weren't stocking before, or stocking things with less packaging. I think that could be also uh, something that I could try here locally. Let me know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about the what happened. I'm also curious, the emotional journey from when you first committed to now, what it's when you're shopping, when you're putting stuff to take out. Is it fun? Is it did, was it originally dolorous or boring? How did it evolve? <laughs> I think it's uh, not boring uh, at all. So like going shopping is, is this way more interesting because uh, we, we see things in a different way in shops. So whenever I see now plastic, I think about the negative effect of, of plastic. And I automatically I try, to, try to consume less. I think when, when you commit to something, then you automatically try to align yourself with this goal. So once once I committed to it, I became more aware and I wanted to to be consistent. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, that that committing seems to do you know that famous quote? It's attributed to Goethe all the time, but it's not he didn't say it, it was someone else. About once you commit, then suddenly all these things that you never imagined would work in your favor start working in your favor and resources come out of the woodwork and people start helping you that you never knew were there. But you have to commit. Yeah. I believe in that. So what are the emotions? Is it, I mean, is it rewarding? Is it fun? Is it, can you name them? I would say it's more colorful life. Wow. Like this. Huh. Just, just, just like uh, when I reduced my beef and meat consumption, I discovered uh, that there's, there are different vegetables are available and you can prepare di- delicious dishes out of these. And now with the reduction of, of plastic and separating it, I get to read more about the negative effect of uh, plastic. I mean, I, I will watch uh, one movie that uh, you shared with me recently, uh, which came out. Uh, that's also about plastic. I remember your article in Inc. magazine that was also about uh, uh, plastic, that uh, like 90% of plastic is not recycled. I remember a number from there. So I, I, I tried to, to look at it in, a, in such a way that it just the life is more colorful this way. That's interesting. Yeah. Colorful is a much more, it's a more colorful word than I expected. (laughs) For me, a lot of times when I use plastic, I think of the people on the receiving end. I mean, you haven't, you haven't watched the story of plastic yet. So you haven't seen the images that most people are surprised at how much more waste people are living in the mountains in India, just whole swaths of land covered and swaths of water in Indonesia and the Philippines. And so if someone offers me like I do a lot of cleanups in my neighborhood. Actually, I think yesterday or the day before was day 1300 of picking up at least one piece of trash per day. Not all the trash is plastic, but a lot of it is. And over the past couple of months, one of my local representatives, the city councilman, Corey Johnson, and his chief of staff, Eric uh, Botcher, are organizing every Sunday, I go and do these pickups. And they give out plastic gloves for people to wear, and they give out plastic bags for people to carry the garbage in. And I've noticed that 
picking up garbage and putting it in the trash isn't decreasing the amount of garbage. It's just moving it from one place to another. Now, yeah. if garbage on the street is going to end up possibly in the ocean, so I'd rather have it in a landfill. The landfills are leaky and it's, you know, they're filling up, but I'd rather have it there than the ocean. Really, for me, the main effect is, well, hopefully when people see less garbage on the ground, they're less likely to throw garbage on the ground. And hopefully the only thing that matters to me, or the main thing that matters to me is that I hope that they're less likely to get plastic, to get waste. I mean, I want law, well, I want people to get to a place where they look at, as I do, which is waste, the way we look at leaded gasoline or asbestos, that it's, it's, we thought it was going to be very useful and it's useful for a lot of things. It's also poisonous. And I don't think anyone has any problems with laws against asbestos or against smoking in hospitals or schools. Anyway, I guess I was saying how it makes me, when I think of that stuff, the more transient the use is, someone, oh man, I was talking to Eric Bosher, actually the chief of staff. We were in a, in a cafe. He was getting some coffee and some guy gets a coffee on a disposable cup, disposable lid. I guess some of the coffee came out like it was on top of the lid. So he gets a napkin, gets, uses it to get one drop of coffee off of the lid and then throws a napkin away. Now, a napkin is not a particularly big thing, but there's zero benefit to his life. Like he just, it's just shocking. Anyway, so I look at that and I think of people swimming in waste. Maybe I should think more colorfully because your sounds, I, I mean, what makes me happy is not the not using plastic, but what I am doing instead. Like the food would be the bigger thing, not getting packaged things but getting the fresh stuff from the farm, from a farmer I know, from a vendor I know at the farmer's market because we see each other all the time and they give me free food because I'm a regular and I'm cool with them. Yeah. But I read about diapers. That is the third uh, on the list of consumer products that is thrown out. Actually, number two or even number one was, was food packaging and uh, this takeaway food. I think it's uh, some companies already reward people who bring their own containers and and cups i think even starbucks does that i haven't been there for years in starbucks that if you bring your own cup and fill it up with coffee you can reduce the bill that you pay this is great i believe in the u.s they don't let you do it yeah i don't know if i've ever shopped at starbucks but i've been with friends there and they they would not let them use a mug wow but that might have been five ten years ago i'm not sure yeah what it's what they're up to now but i can tell you Picking up garbage every day off the streets, Starbucks, Coca-Cola, Gatorade, the various bottled water companies, Dunkin' Donuts, that coffee, I can't believe how much people go through. Yeah. And a few years ago, there were no disposable coffee. I mean, not a few years ago, but I mean, in my lifetime, I think there was just almost no disposable coffee. And people, I think people would sit down and drink coffee and have some rest or meet with people. And now I think they think it saves them time to drink while they walk. But I think on the contrary, it probably just fills them up with calories of mindless drinking. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a coffee drinker. Now it's with alcohol too, that we can drink on the streets now. There's so much more. In the US? Yeah. because Well, in New York, at least because of the pandemic, they allowed bars and restaurants to serve outdoors. Yeah. So most places went to disposable. And in principle, I think that people aren't allowed to walk around, but in practice they do. Yeah. And there's a lot of beer cans that people are throwing around on the streets. I think I think cops are not bothering people if they drink alcohol in the streets. Oh. Probably technically illegal, but in practice, it's now accepted. 
Oh, okay. which I welcome. I mean, I like the idea of eating and drinking outdoors. Yeah. Uh, responsibly, not irresponsibly. Not, I don't like the idea of it's someone else has to pay for the cleanup. You know, the, the city of New York, the Department of Sanitation budget annually is $1.6 billion. That's a lot of tax money to haul out trash that we didn't have to haul in in the first place. And if people would just put their stuff, if they would just not get the disposable stuff, we could maybe save, I think I'm not going to go line by line, but I suspect we could probably save a billion dollars yeah. a year. And it would be by eating healthier food. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the lockdown nowadays or close to lockdown uh, scenarios uh, create a situation that people have to cook more at home. So hopefully they will uh, they will find out that uh, the meals they can prepare at home can be delicious. You don't have to go somewhere else to get a takeaway or go to a restaurant to eat out. My impression, what I see is that people were doing that for a bit, but then I think they perceive that as onerous. Now I think they're back to eating out as much as ever. Mm. They're probably struggling because it's getting colder. Actually, now the restaurants put these kerosene and electric heat lamps, which they put on whether someone's sitting at the table there or not, I guess, because they want to make sure people feel comfortable sitting there. So now they're just burning kerosene with for no benefit. Yeah. And I think people feel like cooking at home is a step backward, maybe to the stone age. Mm. It's, I think people feel very entitled here. It's tragic to me. I mean, I was scheduled to talk to someone at, I think we were scheduled for five o'clock or six o'clock. I was intending to make one of my famous no packaging vegan stews and I ran out of time. So I just was like, Oh, whatever. I'll just, chop vegetables while I'm on the phone or not mm. on the phone on, on the video chat. So I'm talking to him and I'm showing him what I'm doing. And he's like, this is really cool. Like, and he goes, where is this coming from? Like, how'd you learn all this stuff? Cause I knew how to cook. I learned a little bit cooking growing up, but not totally from scratch. And I said, you know, this is some people fly to the Amazon to discover nature and to see nature untouched or something like that. And it's right here. So I showed him this, this uh, radish right now in season in New York are many kinds of radishes. And if you asked me six, seven years ago, hey, Josh, do you like radishes? I would say, I don't know. I don't really know much about radishes. I just know these little ones about the size of a finger of a thumb. They're red radishes and they're white on the inside. And that kind of peppery taste. Right now, I showed him the outside. It's one big radish. It's about the size of um, large grapefruit. And I go, what do you see here? And he goes, I don't know. It's a turnip. Or he guessed it was an onion. I'm like, that's not even close, but whatever. And I show him the inside and it's, it's a watermelon radish. It's bright red, like super bright red and juicy and sweet and peppery. So I love this stuff. And I had no idea if I'd walked past it in a farmer's market for any, up until recently, I would never think twice about buying it because it just looks like a rock on the outside. And I would never suspect it would be so juicy and sweet on the inside. And I believe that nature's the more that I do this, the more nature is everywhere. I have access to it in everywhere, but especially in eating because it activates, well, all, I guess all the senses, certainly taste and smell, and certainly touch and sight, and even hearing. I mean, hearing a little less, but chopping those things, I can hear that. Except that I'm not flying to get there. And it's not like I feel like it's someplace else. So the emissions are a bit lower to carry a turnip home from the farmer's market than to fly to the Amazon. Yeah, And it's really this beauty of nature that's every everywhere. I mean, we can squeeze it out. You need to share some uh, recipes with me. 
like radish. Well, I can tell with watermelon radishes, chop it and stick it in your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really do. I I eat a bunch of it before I even put it. I put that on topping for my stews because the stews are hot and creamy. Yeah. So this is crispy and usually I put it in the fridge. So it's chilled. Yeah. And yeah, sometime when we're on, I'll, we'll do video and, and do, do my famous no packaging vegan stew. Actually, I showed him another thing. No, it was someone else I was talking to. And I showed how to make what most people call seitan. Have you ever had seitan? Do you know what it is? No, I don't think so. It's one of the more common fake meats. So there's tofu, there's, there's like a fermented soybean, tempeh, uh-huh. tempeh, I don't know. What it, and there's something that they call it seitan, S-E-I-T-A-N. And I'm going to tell you the way I made it the first time, which is I looked up and it's making from scratch. So I take wheat berries, whole wheat berries. I put them in the, in the blender, grind them down into flour, add some water, make that into a... By the way, don't remember this because it's all too complicated. I'll tell you the simple thing later. But I'm kind of proud that I did it. So you, you, you knead the dough into a nice solid, a nice dough, and then you put it under water and the water will cause the starch part of the wheat to go away. And what you're left with is just the gluten, which is super high protein. When you cook it, when you boil it, I put it in the pressure cooker with my stews, it comes out with a very very meaty texture. I haven't eaten meat in decades, so I'm not, I don't really have a recent memory of it. But if someone told me that this, the stuff that I, the seitan that I got in my stews was chicken, I'd be like, ah, why'd you put chicken? I'm vegetarian. I'm vegan. I don't eat that stuff, <laughs> but it's really meaty. And if you look at the nutritional profile, it's like the highest protein per calorie, one of the highest protein per calories things that you'll get. Not that I'm really into getting a whole lot of protein, but whatever, a lot of people, that's a big deal. As it turns out, I was at the bulk food store near me on 4th Street, and I noticed that they had wheat gluten. So all of the preparation that I talked about, about the grinding and the water and stuff was unnecessary. It did, they did it for me. So now I just take, it just looks like regular flour. It's a white flour. I put a few tablespoons in a bowl, put a little bit of water, a little soy sauce, mix it up, and it turns into like this doughy mix. And it's like, it probably takes me three minutes to make enough for one of my stews and it's it's so quick and so easy and so chewy. I haven't had a meat, meat eater over yet since I've started doing this, but now it's like a regular part of my stew. Mm. And I, I don't like to call it seitan because that makes it sound exotic. It makes it sound difficult. This is more like, it's almost like adding salt. It's, it's barely difficult. Yeah. So it's this discovery that comes from sticking with not polluting. Yeah, I agree. That's why I'm looking forward to continuing on this journey on uh plastic separation and also uh, talking to here to the local grocery store, uh, how it could be possible to buy things in bulk if they could serve. I'm also curious, when we first met, entrepreneurship was a big deal for you. And for you to move, I can understand that having a child is going to change a lot of your priorities. But tell me more about what you do with your page, because I imagine, I think of you as someone who's serving a community and you've switch communities or maybe it's it feels like maybe there's a similar ethos tell me more about your webpage and what you do there yeah so before i had the podcast on uh, entrepreneurship how to create physical products and uh, right now because of the website the new website it's it, to me it's like uh, moving away from the production rather than the uh, towards the, the usage of physical products because uh, with Project Father website, I talk about fatherhood, the different challenges, but it's also like topics like this, like do strollers expire or, or high chairs? 
And where can you put a child, a baby or a, a newborn uh, when uh, you want to for, for a day nap? Or how can you take a shower? Go and take a shower uh, when you have a child and, uh, and you're alone with the child. So I answer general questions, but also I look at products, analyzing products, because it connects with me and with my, with my podcast on this other website, The Hardware Entrepreneur. So in a way, I stayed with, with the topic, but as I said, rather than move, uh, staying with the innovation part, innovating part, so how to come up with a new product, come out with a new product, I now focus on, on the usability, how parents are using these products. And is it also because fatherhood, I feel like there's probably a lot more web pages for mothers than for fathers. Am, am I right about that? They, yeah, but there, there are some big ones around, but for sure there are, there are a lot more websites that focus on, on mothers. Do you also talk about the experience of a friend of mine? He's like, he takes his kid out and people come up and say, oh, you're doing daycare today. And he's like, no, I'm a dad. It's not a sometimes <laughs> thing. And I think he was saying how, people don't think he's like the real parent or something like that. And do you touch on aspects like that of other parts of fatherhood? Yeah. I mean, and of course, when I write these articles, I do bring in my personal stories. Yeah. And uh, that's why I, I don't focus on this, that I discuss also the, the fatherhood and its challenges and how you can teach a child to become, you know, smart, how to become an engineer uh, because I have an engineering background. So yeah, I think uh, fatherhood and it's, it has a lot of aspects to discover. That's why it's, I love this topic because it's unlimited. And I guess it keeps evolving as, the, as yeah. your child ages. Exactly. And as you age as well, I guess. Yeah, and new problems. That's how to remind you. <laughs> yeah. I could keep going, but let's wrap up here. But is there anything to cover, anything I didn't ask that's worth bringing up or anything you want to close with? I think uh, we touched on many topics. I'm looking forward to continuing uh, on this journey and then keeping you up to date on my results. I appreciate that. An open invitation for you to come back and share how things go. Thank you. As you keep evolving. Thank you. Since I know that some of my podcast guests stopped their challenges shortly after the second episode, I'm gratified to hear guests continuing it forever, at least so far, and building on it, going past that. You could say, Maybe he's continuing it because his challenge happens to fit with a minimalist value or set of values that he'd already developed. I contend that sustainability resonates with some values in everyone. He didn't start with an advantage. He found one that anybody could if they look in their lives. I mean, we all value clean air, clean water, clean land. None of us want mercury in their fish. But there's always something deeper than that, some personal experience. There's always something to find. It makes me wonder how many guests from years ago I should bring back. In any case, last word, I hope that listeners here that all these changes toward sustainability and leadership, they bring color, personal growth, and what I believe anyone would call life improvement, connecting more with family, with community, things like that. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step-by-step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, There's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodek.com slash donate.